Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, and we're going to be talking about a top five men's basketball team, a women's basketball team that's getting going again. And we're also going to have a conversation with Ari Wasserman from The Athletic to talk about recruiting Brett, which is where we're going to start today's show, football recruiting specifically. That makes sense. National Signing Day, early signing day just happened. Yeah, yeah. The early signing day is kind of nice because you get to start to see how the roster is going to take shape. And of course, with the transfer portal, you can have a better idea going into spring ball what the team's going to look like. Of course, over the last couple of weeks, Arizona, since their big Territorial Club victory over ASU, watched a lot of players under the portal. It's like, oh, okay, they're going to have a lot of roster spots to fill. Some key players have departed. And I don't want to say it's, it's like the high school recruits, you don't want to look and say, well, they're going to fill the void. They're going to come in as freshmen and play and make an impact. Although some of last year's did. And same thing, but you look at the portal additions that Arizona has, or just the overall haul from day one of the early signing period. Like, I don't, I don't want to say Arizona's defense is solved. I don't want to say Arizona's a better team, but it's not a bad group that they're bringing in. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to, I was trying to do the mental math in my head of all of the changes in commits and portal guys coming going since our last pod and i'm not sure i can keep it all straight but <laughs> it's a lot i mean to your point um if i had told you you know <laughs> a month ago or however long ago that arizona would be having a you know d lineman that was on national champion uh, georgia football or a top 10 overall in his high school class linebacker transferring from oregon coming into arizona's defense you'd be like oh that would really make a difference you'd think uh, um and and you know throw on top of that uh, the the edge rusher that caused the strip sack on Jaden Delora against Cal is now an Arizona Wildcat right so I think to the those three guys uh, Norton Flo and Patu I think it's Patu uh, is how it's pronounced we'll go um, with it you know I, I I should have done my normal thing where I defer to you to try to pronounce it uh, yeah those if, guys, if you can't feel comfortable about Patu then yeah we're, it's a lost cause when it comes to names for you okay Adam. <laughs> I mean that's that's fair, actually. Given men's basketball, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean Justin Flo was. I don't think people could quite grasp that he was literally like a top ten overall recruit in his high school class, you know. And he hasn't played that much, largely due to injury. But if he's healthy, that guy's a game changer, right? right. Arizona needed game changers and defensively. Like you look at the ones that they lost. They lost a few starters: Keon Bars, Christian Ron Wallace, Jackson Turner. And you're like, okay, those are solid players, you know, Paris Shand. None of them were necessarily game-changing talents. We weren't seeing Christian Ron Wallace with four pass breakups a game, interception. He only had, I think, two interceptions in the entire Arizona crew. Not to say he's a bad player. Teams weren't throwing at him. Why would you throw at Christian Ron Wallace when you can pick on the other guys? But the hope is that someone like a Patu or a Justin Flo or even like a Bill Norton who didn't start necessarily for Georgia, but he played some, was on a national champion, that these guys could come in and make an impact, kind of like Roy Lopez a couple of years ago. Right. He came in, he was good. Mo Diallo last season or two seasons ago now was good, made an impact. 
And that's what Arizona needs. You're not going to have 11 guys who are really, really good. It's Arizona football. They're not going to have that. But if you can have enough playmakers, enough game-changing type talents, and like Justin Flo, for example, he's supposed to be that kind of guy. Um, he played against Arizona and went to Oregon this year, had a big hit. Like, he plays with an edge. <laughs> you know, a big hitter, a guy who wants to make hits. And if he can stay healthy, he's the type of guy you can almost build a defense around. Like your front seven's instantly better with someone like him. Norton's certainly a space eater, big guy, experience. Your defense is probably better with someone like him too. So when you look at the class, you have to kind of judge it. It's not just the traditional high school recruits. You have to look at the transfer portal as well. And of course, that's never done. Guys can still go to the portal. They're going to still, like there's still recruits to sign. There's still transfers out there. But for Arizona, I think we all get used to the Jetfish offseason. And most of that comes down to recruiting. And last season was like last year was ridiculous, right? The top 25 class. And that can't be the expectation, not for Arizona. Would it be fair to make that the expectation that there's going to be a T-Mac every year? You know, a price stock like with USC kind of falling apart, that is going to open up for Arizona to pick up all these high three, four star guys. Like that's not going to be the norm. But Arizona right now sits overall at 43, according to 247. That's not bad. Like top 50 for a program that's not elite, that's not coming off a bowl season, that's still trying to rebuild, that's probably about where they should be. Also, a couple things, Adam. I think Arizona did get a couple of those equivalent of like a late Ephesians Price Sock ad with Raymond Pulido that uh, Matt Moreno, I think, talked about when he was on our pod a week or two ago, mm-hmm. uh, and also getting Malachi Riley uh, committed. Uh, so, and let's let's not forget that Jed Fish clearly uh, thinks stars matter and knows how to at least speak to the message board crowd like us um, when he said that he expects them to be around 30 by the time it's all said and done, which, you know, he knows more than we know about what's going on with their with their recruiting. Um, I'd rather be ranked higher. Like, and I get it. There's always those two star guys, those lower level guys who impress like you need those guys, especially if you're Arizona. But yeah, give me the highest ranking possible. Oh, yeah. Well, I think one of the, the big names that's still out there that the rumors are Arizona is a good spot for is Leviticus Sua uh, that I also Matt Moreno talked with us about linebacker. He's like a, yeah. He's a four star linebacker. If you, if you have, you know, Jerry Roberts coming back for his 12th football season, uh, Justin Flo coming in almost assuredly going to be an immediate starter. Uh, Jacob Manu back. Some of the other depth guys like Amon Allen back. And then you also add a Leviticus Sua into that linebacker room. That's you a, probably need to run a three, four. That's a completely, you know, that's a complete almost 180 from where it was by the end of this, uh, this last season, right? In terms of that linebacker room, like, yeah. you know, I mean, Jerry Roberts may not be starting coming back as a, you know, 42 year old man. <laughs> <laughs> Why you gotta be like that to Jerry Roberts? I, love, I, I, love I like Roberts. him. That dude played hard. I just uh, I, I, never I, questioned I love, his effort. I love him. I agree, but it's also fun to just keep making him older. And every time I reference him. <laughs> He'll be geriatric by the time this pod ends. But geriatric, yeah. geriatric Roberts. <laughs> but I like that. I like that. I, when you looked at like what Arizona did last season, and I know Jed Fish talked about this in his recruiting day or signing day press conference, like they went out to build the offense to fix the offense. You kind of figure that you need to score points, and duh, right? And it's a lot easier to probably fix it. Obviously, get a quarterback, get a couple receivers, coach up your offensive line get a tight end apparently who was really good under the radar and look at you, you're scoring two more touchdowns per game. Now you got to fix that defense because the defense was bad. Arizona even had an average defense last year. They're in a bowl game. Does this do it? I don't know. I don't know. 
but clearly they focus on I me. Mean, 16 of the high school recruits are defensive guys. Like you got their transfers. It's basically, you know, defense, 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 defense. I know <laughs> Tyler Manoa was switched to offensive line with UCLA, but he's going to come in on the defensive line. Yep. Arizona knows, and based on what they have coming back, yes, the offense, even with losing a Dorian Singer, you know, okay, offense is going to be fine. Of course, you bring back Jordan Morgan. He wasn't a new recruit, but he announced that he's going to be coming back to Arizona, coming off the ACL injury. That's huge. So Arizona's offense, they need to be better next season, more consistent, sure. But the defense is where they needed to focus the most of their attention. And is there is Justin Flo like the Jaden Delora of the defense for them? The guy who can come in, start from day one, and make that kind of impact? Maybe. You know, linebackers, it can happen, but especially if that defensive line, someone like a Bill Norton or a Tyler Manoa can, you know, eat up some blockers to free up a Justin Flo, free up a Jacob Manu, free up a Jerry Roberts, or possibly a limited Kasua, you know, then this defense could look pretty good. That front seven could be very scary. I think, you know, we've talked about, I think a lot of the young guys that played in the front seven with 20 more pounds on them are going to be the foundation. Uh, Bill Norton, I think, is obviously a, a big you know, talented guy that's going to be in the rotation, I would imagine, right away. But, you know, the, especially on the D-line, you need depth and losing Frank. Keon Bars. Yeah. Losing Keon Bars, losing Paris Shand to, you know, big schools, interestingly enough. Um, you know, I think Arizona can withstand that as long as they add in some kind of plug-and-play guys and you see some development from those D-linemen, right? Like, yeah. Tai Tai for undersized was really disruptive last year. Um, you know, Jacob Kengaika could be a guy that contributes a lot. Deuce T- Davis. Tia Savea, if he can get, you know, get it figured out. He was a highly rated guy. He's got raw ability, right? Deuce Davis, uh, you know, Sterling Lane. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, Isaiah Ward. That guy is lanky. If he puts 30 pounds of muscle on, um, you know, look out. He's 6'6 and all of that. I remember seeing him get on the field when I was in person. I was like, who's that guy? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I... You can see that there's a plan. You can see it's coming together. I even think some of the the true freshmen that are committed, um, you, you know, at least of the ones that would sign the letter intent, like I think a Genesis Smith might get on the field as a true freshman. Yeah, uh, I think, think he's supposed to be like really, and I think uh, Michael Lev had a piece where they were talking about him being possibly the jewel of this class where that dude can play. Yeah, and he's, he's one of those guys that's like a high three-star from Hamilton, a big program in Phoenix. Like that's, if he comes in and can play, uh, and he's a, you know, pretty big guy, six two, uh, a little under two hundred pounds. And if, if uh, you know, when Chuck Cecil says that guy likes to hit, you can tell, you can rest assured that that guy likes to hit, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that you can see that there's a plan. You see that the pieces are coming together, uh, at least at least on the defensive side of the ball. Now, how it all fits together, and you know, we'll have to check with Rob Bowden of Beta Rank and uh, see if if it's all Nansen's schemes or if he improves and develops as a schemer uh, as the defensive coordinator but you can see the pat I'll put it this way you can see the path to success for the defense with the moves that have been made and probably subsequent ones that are still to come even with the losses of some of the guys they've had and another thing you can see too Brett and I feel like we talked about this with Kevin Sumlin and I think he started especially after the Rich Rod era was the type of player they're trying to get the size yeah I know that was talked about too I think um, in the press conference, this we're recording on Thursday, so the press conference on Wednesday, is that how Arizona, if they're going to miss, they're going to miss with size. You know, guys who are plus six foot, you know, if they're defensive linemen or offensive linemen, 300 plus pounds, you know, like Raymond Polito, 6'6", 345. Malachi Riley, 6'2", 178 receiver. Genesis Smith is 6'2", 188. You know, Elijah Payne, a lineman, 6'7", 285. Emmanuel Carnley, 
uh, corner who they pivoted to after they lost one of their other ones, 6'3", 185. Like, this builds on the guys they got last season where there's a certain style of player that this team's going after that this coaching staff wants, and they're starting to get them. And when I talk about Johnny Nansen, we had that conversation with Rob Bowen, who it's hard to argue that Johnny Nansen did a good job. The question is, can he do a better job? Well, you feel like if he, they get players that fit his system more, then he should be able to do a better job. You know, it's hard. It's just like you can't judge Jed Fish based on his year one offense when he didn't have a quarterback and have his receiver, all that stuff. Suddenly he gets better players. And look at that. He knows how to coach offense. Who knew? <laughs> you know? So, like, and that's, but that's the way coaches say when people say you need to give a coaching staff three years to see, you know, a coach three years to see, like, it's going to get their guys in. Defensively, they probably lost some of these guys to transfer because they came in to play for Don Brown or they liked that style of defense and they weren't a fit for what Johnny Nansen wants to do. That happens. In theory, the players they're bringing in now are a fit for Johnny Nansen's defense. So whether if they're able to contribute day one or this season as freshmen or the transfers coming in, I imagine a lot of them are going to contribute, then the defense has a real opportunity to be better simply because they are meant to play this style of defense. No, I, th- I think that's right. And I think, you know, they're they're getting the bodies and, you know, not just warm bodies, but the, to your point, the sized bodies that they want to get to. Even Braden Dorman, the quarterback, he's going to tower over Jane Delora and Noah Fafita in that quarterback room, right? Tristan gonna, Davis is 6'7", 235 for an edge rusher. Or like a Tylen Gonzalez, the like one that everybody's kind of like, who's this guy? How did he, you know, he does not on social media. There's some videos of him playing basketball that, you know, Jed Fish was saying, don't post anything because they didn't want anybody to know. <laughs> like he could be a guy that is a, a, a sneaky, great, you know, a, a, you know, a Jordan Morgan type, right? Like that raw ability and size and talent that, that you just have to coach up and develop. Right. Or he could turn out to, to be a depth guy or not a contributor. Yeah, That's the yeah. crazy. The fun thing about this thing is you watch signing, you're like you can see a world for these guys. Yeah. This guy could contribute, but then there's also a world where they don't, they don't. And they end up transferring a year from now, two years from now, because it doesn't work out at Arizona. But you need to increase your odds by bringing in as many stars as you can and just building a class of guys who have a better chance of being a hit, right? Yeah. Like the size helps if they're big enough. The likelihood of them being a contributor, them being an effective player for you, it increases. might only be 10%, 15%, but it increases. Yeah. I mean, look at, I was just looking at last year's class. Wendell Moe was one of the lowest rated commits, but he's a big body at a Long Beach Poly, and he was starting by the end of the season and is probably exactly. entering this season as number one in the depth chart at one of the guard spots, right? Uh, you know, that Paris Shand was one of those guys that you took a flyer on, and yeah, he he's leaving Arizona, but he's going to freaking LSU to play defensive <laughs> line, right? So, like, there's, I think we even talked about it when he committed. Like, there's some of these guys that are, they're, they're lottery tickets. You need, you need quality and quantity when it comes to recruiting because you're not going to hit on all of them. But you need to get a you need to get a sufficient hit rate, right? That's where the end of the Rich Rod years, you know, thirty, forty percent of that class was bluntly useless half the time at the OKGs. End, right? Yeah. You know, and like there Rich Rod is one of those guys that I think that's good at getting the most out of the least. And in, in this in his sense, the least is height and size. But Arizona it takes time to transform a roster, right? And that's what I think Fish and Staff are doing. Um, I have a question for you, Adam. Of all the of all the true freshmen coming in, and there's a lot of them that are supposedly early enrolling. Who do you do you see any of the the true freshmen uh, contributing in their freshman year? It would have to be one of the safeties, you know, someone like Parrish or Genesis Smith. I would think just because that's where the opportunity is going to be at that spot. There's not necessarily clear guys who are going to play. Also, just more who will rotate through. You know, unless Arizona goes got a uh, replacement in the transportal for Jackson Turner. 
someone's gonna have to do it. Isaiah Taylor is gonna play more. He played well at the end of last season. There's gonna be opportunity for those guys. But like offensive line, like Polito is a great prospect. He's a four star. Unless you're moving Big Jonah to one of the tackle spots, like to right tackle, which is a possibility. Like Polito's a guard, as I understand it. Right? Like at least early on his career, probably. So where would he play? You know, Malachi Riley's an excellent prospect. Arizona has receivers. <laughs> like their top three are going to play. We saw last season, maybe they should have rotated more in, but how do you when you have three guys who are just playing outstanding? I would imagine a Kevin Green Jr. and A.J. Jones has the leg up to be the third receiver on this team. So, and even like Kenyon Moses, one of my favorite names in this class. They got some really good names in this class, by the way. <laughs> but like, is there going to be a, is there going to be opportunity for them to play like substantially? Is he going to get on the field some? Sure. Is he going to play more than, you know, a couple dozen snaps over the course of the season. I don't know. Probably not. Like that's a sign. I think of a pretty, the program's not like they won five games, but there's not a ton of obvious holes that they have to fill. Yeah. We've, we've got a very biblical uh, defense here coming on uh, with Canyon Moses, Genesis, uh, you know, maybe Levit- Leviticus, Sua, Ephesians, Prysock. It's <laughs> this, this defense is going to be What's biblical. Offenses of Rhino. <laughs> We're going to just call him Rhino. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good O-lineman first name. Um, I would say one thing, I I wouldn't sleep on Polito maybe at least in contention for starting because he's such a yeah. big body. And I'm not – I read somewhere that, like, he's listed at 345, but he's fluctuated and has been able to control his weight for various things where, you know, if he's 6'6", 300 or 315, maybe that means he's got the foot speed for – tackle you know i think that's yeah. something for that's a good you know you get enough big bodies with talent and that's a problem for brennan carroll to solve right jordan morgan coming back makes life a lot easier assuming he can get healthy from the acl sure injury left tackle is set so find your right tackle now do you want to have a true freshman right tackle i don't know but if he's good enough then yes he should play jordan morgan played as a as a freshman at left tackle <laughs> and that team was great that's how I remember it, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I mean, if you like, I think the other thing is if if Arizona does get Leviticus Sua, I'm not sure he starts, but I bet he plays in the rotation yeah. as a true freshman, right? But also, you're gonna are you gonna pull Justin Fuller off the field unless he's injured, probably. But then you have to remember those guys from last year's class uh, we talked about a little bit. They're gonna be more in the rotation. Like, it's Certainly. not like they're filling holes with this year's freshmen. They're going to fill holes with the guys who were on the team last season. Christian Wallace leaves. Ephesians Prysock should be there, right? Like, that's Takario Davis. Like, those are the guys who, in theory, should be playing in that spot, should be taking over. It's like Isaiah Taylor for Jackson Turner. He's already on the roster. So these freshmen, they have to earn it. And one thing that I think helps this coaching staff is they showed last year and the year before, if you can help them, it doesn't matter if you're a freshman, a senior, you're going to play if you're one of the best players on the team. Like, if you can help, you're going to get on the field. But you're not going to have a spot handed to you. You know, you got to earn that spot. And a lot of guys, like someone like T-Mac started from day one. But other guys, you mentioned Wendell Moe. You know, Jacob Manu came in late. Ephesians Price started to get more snaps towards the end of the season. Like Deuce Davis as well, Sterling Lane too. Like, yeah, you may have to grow. You may have to learn a little bit. But if you do that, and especially for the guys who are going to be in town for spring ball, if you can get there to where you're going to help them, then you're going to play as a freshman. No, I, I think that's right. Um, it's it's going to be interesting because I think there's going to, based on what Fish is saying, also there's going to be a lot more motion in the in the planned roster heading in, into the spring signing period, into spring football, and then there's probably going to be another rash of transfer portals. Yeah. Um, you know, in in both coming and going as the transfer portal is prone to do, 
but I think the opportunity is going to be there for especially the young guys on defense. I'm really excited about the transfers. And then, you know, we'll see what Johnny Nansen's uh, scheme can really uh, cook up because the yeah. talent will be there. One thing really quick, you mentioned like the transfer portal. I'm kind of curious. Arizona, a lot of their transfers have ended up at USC. <laughs> oh, three. But you see guys like Parashan to LSU. Not bad. Colby Cage is Southern Miss. You know, a lot of the guys are going to UMass. J.B. Brown's going to UMass. Tyler Martin to UMass. Jermaine Wiggins Jr. to go play for Don Brown. We know that. But it seems like most of Arizona's guys so far that are on the portal are finding homes, which is good. Like, you want that. You feel for, you feel for the guys who go to the portal and can't land anywhere. But part of me, you know, when you don't want to see your best players leave, right? Like, that that stings no matter what. But when you see a Parishan go to LSU, when you see a Dorian Singer go to USC, there's something to be said where you say, you know what? Coaching staff identified guys, developed guys, and now like you don't want to be the farm system for these bigger programs. But if you have talent that's good enough to play at USC, good enough to play at LSU, you're doing something right. I 100% agree. And Do you, you get can, where I'm going with that? Like, yeah. I'm not happy about it, but if you want to try to find a silver lining. But I, but I think that helps you on the, on the recruiting trail, pitching some of these high three-star guys and be like, hey, like, we have guys that are, are – it came in, you know, like Dorian Singer was a walk-on, even though he had a, a Texas offer. There was, like, a weird thing with the coaching staff change. He had the talent, but also you still have to develop them. And if you can have tell the story of you're developing these guys and turning them into a if – it's if they're not going to the NFL, if they're going to big programs, that's the next best thing, right? And that says – that that's a testament to what the staff is able to do in developing, I think, is what you're trying to get to, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you don't want to develop players for other programs – but anything you can do to sell recruits on, come to Arizona. Ideally, you're going to win. But come to Arizona, and you're going to become a better football player. Then that that works. Like, that says something. So, <sighs> signing day. Early signing day. As you mentioned, Brett, there's going to be more in the future. I know Jed Fish expects more in the spring. This isn't the only signing day. There's going to be more. Oh, you got something. Really quick. Oh, What's up? I was going to say, also, Arizona already got its first 2024 commitment on early signing day. And Brandon Phelps out of Gilbert. And we know that'll definitely stick. So I mean, <laughs> Canyon Moses, I think, was uh, around this time last year. I read he was February. Oh, it was February. Well, yeah. But either way, no, the recruiting never stops, right? It's just because it's the signing period. Like, obviously, Brandon Phelps can't sign. He can commit, but he can't sign. But recruiting is a year-round thing, pretty much, for all these programs. And I, you know, Arizona, I think, has done a pretty good job, all things considered. You know, they've had a lot to offer. They had a lot to sell kids on. And you look at the class, yeah, it's top 50 right now. Could maybe make the top 40, depending on how the rest of the signings go. And I think for Arizona, that's not bad. You know, they're not going to be top 25 every year, but if they can sneak the right class top 25, be top 40 most years, that's not a bad place to be to be successful, you know, to be Arizona good. When, one last one last point. Um, Our third last point. Third last point. Yeah. Uh, We're good at this. You know, there is there were some day of flips, including the guy that just committed on national TV three days earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm more interested to point out the fact that there was clear like Arizona coaches had the next guy in the wings, basically. Right. Like Tretch. They weren't caught off guard by anything. They replaced Tretch with Carlos Wilson, who was a guy that was a four star recruit that had an injury and dropped to a high three star, but still a top 1000 slot receiver. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, was was named Kurt Carnley that replaced I forget which uh, Stoutmeyer I think yeah, Carter Stoutmeyer went to Colorado and like he's a t- 
top 1000. He's like uh, 807 nationally on 247. Like these, these are legit commits that were the essentially the backup plan, right? And they're they're not being caught flat-footed. And it's no. clear that you know, it's clear that the coaching staff maintains a good line of communication with these guys and has a good sense of things to have those lined up. Um, and for my fourth flash point, Adam, um, it's a different thing in the last two years where I think people like you and I, and the people listening to this pod would be, uh, you know, we'd have some great commits and it was always about fending off and they were going to end up going to Oregon. They were going to end up going to, you know, USC or UCLA at, at the last minute ad. That's not the case anymore. Arizona's getting these no. guys and keeping them and even, and even flipping guys from some of these other programs. And that's what you need to do to like build that foundational base. And it just, it's a testament to the coaching staff's ability to recruit, communicate, and have a, a finger on the pulse with everybody that are interested. For sure. It's definitely much better to be the flipper than the flippy when it comes to recruiting. So that's I know Arizona's on both sides. Of it. That's, that's what they say. Well, Brett, let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk to Ari Wasserman of The Athletic because that guy knows recruiting. He knows the landscape. And also he knows Arizona. Welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. We are glad to be joined by Ari Wasserman of The Athletic. He covers a lot of the recruiting news. He's also an Arizona alum, so he has an affinity for the Wildcats. Ari, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Yeah, I got to get back to Tucson here pretty soon. It's been a long time since I've been there. Yeah, a lot has changed. Like even like when I know Brett and I, we live in Phoenix, but I graduated in 2006. I think Brett was 2007. And go back for football games like everything's better now oh is, it is? How, is that is that how it works like everything just gets better after you leave is that just life i think it's either better or worse it's never the same it's never uh, the same. yeah i heard that they had a lot of new dorms and um you know a lot of new buildings down there i saw the facility uh the football facility got uh uh a little bit of an update there and it's just a little bit 21st century and they don't have people walking across the street from the basketball arena uh, into practice. So that's good. But yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of the hope that you, you know, uh, you're ad- adapting and, and continuing forward in the, in the times. And I hope that that pays dividends for them. Yeah. Along those lines. Now you wrote a piece for the athletic about Oregon's recruiting, mm-hmm. how they kind of bring the sec, right. That sec style. Hey, they want a good player. They go get a good player. Whether it's NIL, whether it's what Oregon has to offer, they go get those guys. Arizona is not Oregon. Arizona will never be Oregon in terms of the financial resources or even just probably the prestige. So like looking at Arizona's class, which is top 50, I think, right now, according to 247, how do you assess just what Jed Fish has done with this program and maybe what he can do with this program, given the restrictions, the constraints and the competition? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's funny because when we did this podcast, what was it, January? Yeah, I think it was. We did one again. Yeah, like about a year ago. About a year ago. You know, we had a, a major discussion about Arizona's football program and the infusion of talent and what that could mean, right? And I don't want to sit here and act like Arizona had an amazing season this past year, but there were certain instances uh, where that talent flashed through. I mean, like T-Mac and the UCLA game, um, they just were more competitive across the board with the teams that they were getting blown out by. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, I think is a very good sign of improvement, especially considering the fact that I find that Arizona would probably be, uh, and maybe I'm I'm bias a little bit because I went to school there, but um, a really solid place uh, for a transfer to land. You know, who who wouldn't want to play there? I mean, who, we went to school there. We know what it was all about. Um, and if you go somewhere big or big time that's competing for national championships and you, you want to, you know, land somewhere that's a power five football program, but also, you know, gives you a chance to play and, you know, go to school at a pretty fun place to go to school at, you know, I think it's a good spot. So, you know, I don't look at this recruiting class right now and, 
you know, go, hey, this thing jumps off the page here. Um, what I do notice here uh, off the top of my head whenever I look at things is, A, there's only two kids from Arizona. Um, and Arizona State has hired a coach in, in Kenley Dillingham, who I wrote a column about a few months ago, saying that this guy's the guy because he, he knows everybody in Phoenix and is going to, you know, do that. So you have a roadblock there in terms of how you're going to, you know, recruit your own state, which is Jed Fish's number one initiative, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Of course, they've got 10 kids from California, which you like to see because it's their secondary or I guess maybe some would say primary recruiting territory. Um, And, you know, it's just not a class devoid of top 1,000 players like the one that they had two years ago that was just a complete and utter dumpster fire. So, you know, to me, the the biggest thing that I have a hard time with as a uh, college football reporter who does a lot of recruiting stuff is is what's the, the right way to analyze recruiting classes in 2022? Because, you know, like for instance, Michigan, is a, is a class that doesn't even have a top 100 player in it after the year that they had and the year they're having now. It's kind of strange. But then they also welcomed five players from the portal that are start-worthy right away. So it, it, it's it's not necessarily as much about the recruiting classes uh, and the recruiting classes alone like it used to be. Now it's about the entire package of who you're bringing in and you know what holes you can fill immediately and how you can use the portal to you know equip your team with talent. And you know I think like with the flow transfer, I mean, that guy's a – an immediate starter, I assume, at Arizona. You know, you're you're adding players into the mix here that, um, you know, give them guys that can make plays in games that are close in the Pac-12 rather than getting rolled over on by the worst teams. And I think that they're headed in the right direction. I would have liked to see a more top-heavy class after the one that they had last year, because like that one, that, the one that they had last year was like, okay, this guy gets it. But you know, it's just a reminder too that it's a really hard thing to sustain long term, and that's why it's hard to build a program now. Yeah, Ari. You know, I think you kind of led into the question I kind of want to ask you in the in the age of you know, the transfer portal. How do how do you evaluate classes? Because we just had National Signing Day, mm-hmm. and that's just the early signing day. There's another one in the spring, and there's so many guys coming and going in the transfer portal. Um, and I guess my my question to be to be more focused on Arizona to kind of take off on what Adam is saying. What is your perception of what's the right approach for a program like Arizona in terms of building from the high school class or, you know, versus transfer portal? Well, I think that we're still going to kind of find out if building through the transfer portal is a uh, viable option for long-term success. Like we've seen teams build through the transfer portal and have really good seasons. I mean, Michigan State two years ago was really good, right? And then last year was a dumpster fire. It's like, how often can you do it? Can you do it every single year? And it's a hard thing to bank on because you don't know who's going to be available. You don't know how you're going to analyze those guys effectively year in and year out. And you don't know if you're going to get them, you know? And my, my point of view would always be, if I were a coach, to be a really good high school football recruiter. That way you can get these guys in early get them adapted to your program, uh, get them familiar with your, your culture and your system and, and have guys that you're, you're grooming, you know? Um, but if you're an Arizona coach, uh, or staffer, like what's the correct way to view it? You know, um, that's a hard question because if you are going to be in a position where you don't think you're going to be winning the PAC 12 or winning a national championship, there's alternate ways to create a fun, um, roster that's going to make people excited to watch your games, which I think Arizona could do and, and kind of did last year. I had some fun watching Arizona football last year for the first time in God knows how many years. Um, so when you ask how would you um, was a, uh, analyze or break down a, a cycle, I think it goes from year to year. You know, I think that the portal was something that people used to roll their eyes at of like, you know, most of the people in the portal stink or they didn't play at their previous stop and, 
you know, do you want to build a program a program around a bunch of people who didn't play where they used to go to or, or got disgruntled and left or quit on their team or whatever people, but like, that's not what it is. It's people who want a new start and, you know, people who played that, you know, are, are able to play somewhere else in, in year one. And it makes it a more attractive and, and uh, something that you can count on a more attractive option. So, you know, I think it's kind of 50, 50 and you can't analyze uh, recruiting and recruiting alone anymore. You got to, you know, this is all one window or one umbrella of uh, roster building and one feeds into the other. Well, part of the challenge too, you mentioned if you're like Arizona, you want to go get the high school kids, bring them in, get them into your culture, into your program and groom them, let them grow. But then you with the portal, like Dorian Singer is one of those guys, right? Who came in, Arizona discovered him, was like the only power five offer at that time, comes on as a walk-on, gets a scholarship, leads the Pac-12 in receiving yards, and then decides to bolt for USC. I imagine if you're Arizona, if you're not USC, you're not Oregon, you're not one of these premier that was programs. Really Packers, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like, like you're not like what can you do about that? Is there anything you can do? Like in the in the era of NIL, and I don't have a problem with NIL. I think these guys should get paid as much as they can. I'm for it, but there is that. There's got to be that fear. Can you even coach? Can you recruit with that concern that hey, this guy might be good. I might find a diamond in the rough, but I'm gonna lose him in a year or two to some bigger program that says, you know what? Thanks for finding this guy. Thanks for developing him, developing him because now he's gonna make my team better. Yeah, that's the. I mean, that's just the food chain, man. You know, like yeah. sometimes I think, you know, how hard would it be to be the head coach of a MAC program? Because anytime you find a, a late bloomer or a guy earlier in the process, um, and you get them committed, and they're committed for a year, and then they they commit their junior year, they they add twenty five pounds of muscle and have great senior seasons, and all of a sudden Wisconsin comes along, and goes, hey, that guy's really good, and just takes him like that in the last second, and you're like, you're Toledo, and you're just holding, you're just sitting there with your thumb up your ass. Like, I mean, and that's kind of what happens. So, like, I don't know, you know, when you say, you know, can you develop guys and keep them? I think the the sobering reality to that is that maybe you can. You know, yeah. you got Jordan Addison going to USC, you got Singer going to USC. I mean, these these guys um, are driven by the same way that you the three of us are right. Like, I mean, you, you don't not leave your current job. If you're going to be able to do the same job for more money. I mean, it's the way the world works. It's the way that the the world spins on it's It's economics. And, you know, it might be a, a real tough thing pill to swallow, but it's the reality of it. Now there are other programs that, um, you know, have more money than others, but there are also programs that can create a culture and create an NIL collective and, and kind of ease into this. Um, and, and create a reason for people to stay. And, and I think that's what you have to hope. And the other hope too, is that, you know, with all this NIL talk, it's all speculation, right? There's no, there's no hard, cold, hard facts. Like if you are an Arizona fan, what is your assumption that USC just gave them a million dollars to leave? But it's like, it really wasn't that much money. And, um, the hope is that the market will set itself if it doesn't continue to to pay dividends. I mean, the rich people who are writing these checks or dropping these bags or whatever you want to put it are rich because they made smart investments in their lives. And I think as you know, time goes on and five-star prospects fizzle out or don't produce based on what they're being paid, the market will come down and thus it'll be more easy to hold on to players that are good to you. But also too, it's not that hard to take care of the gems that you have on your roster. And I think that as college football evolves, teams will learn how to anticipate things like this happening and do a better job of fostering environment that people don't want to leave. And once again, Ari, you're teeing up the question I wanted to go to in terms of retaining talent. So it's, you know, it, for Arizona, sure, they lost Dorian Singer, Christian Roland Wallace, but they uh, Jordan Morgan just announced, despite his ACL tear, he's not going to go to the NFL. Uh, and it will be back at left tackle. 
you know, Jacob Cowing, you know, one of the top receivers on the, on the roster is coming back when nobody expected that potentially. I guess my question is, is that, is that in this modern era of, of transfers and NIL, is that as big of a, you know, is that Jed Fish's biggest recruiting win this offseason, keeping those two guys in the yeah, program? Yeah, keeping guys, I mean, honestly, it's all one thing. Who is going to be on your team next year? How they came, whether they were on it last year or where they came from are all completely irrelevant. You know, it's, you know, keeping guys that you know can produce on your squad are, are, are very big recruiting wins. And like the other thing too, like Arizona is like they, for every Dorian Singer they, they might lose out on, there are going to be guys from Alabama that flip or, or people who, you know, aren't playing as much as they want to play at their previous stop that can come in and contribute right away. And like, sexy skill position players are always harder to lose because you like watching them. We're all sports fans. That's what people watch the games for, but you're going to be getting left guards uh, from, from LSU who come in and play right away that actually have a real tangible impact on, on your team. And I'm not saying that singer is overrated or he's not good. He's very good, but in college football, the one thing that these middle tier programs like Arizona can do is get skill talent that develops into something great, you know? And, and like that to me, it's like, if you had to like, go through the portal. Like what, what the best player on their team last year came from UTEP, didn't he? Yeah. It's Cowing. Cowing. Yeah. 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 So like, <laughs> you know, it's what I'm saying. The portal, it, you get, it gives and it takes, right? I mean, it's the portal. You navigate the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And like he was a stud. So, you know, the, the, the whole thing um, is kind of one big circle. You're going to lose, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, however, whatever biblical reference you want to use. Um, but Arizona is a, a very good position, in my opinion, to reap more benefits out of this, um, then they're going to be hurt by it, especially considering the fact that all you got to do is get a kid to get off a plane in Tucson and walk from University Boulevard to the stadium in November and take a look at what that place is all about. You know, I, I, I've been to a lot of places in my career and I've covered a lot of games and, you know, I might sound like the biggest homer on the face of the earth right now and I'm not trying to be, but like going to U of A and being a football player would be a great existence. Uh, so, you know, let's see if Jed Fish understands it and, you know, with the more context that we get, the more, you know, we'll see under how well he can understand it. I'm very curious more so than anything about how he and Kenny now go ahead head to head with each other, because like I, I would like buy a ton of stock in Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. And I think for uh, as long as I've been alive, I don't know if both of those teams have been good at the same time. So that's you know, the biggest the biggest threat, uh, you know, the biggest threat to me for Arizona is whether or not Arizona State's going to turn into a monster or not. See, I was going to ask you too, like where you think Arizona fits, and you called them like one of those middle tier programs, which I think is fine. Arizona is not expected to compete for championships every year. Yeah. You know, bowl games most years, maybe every three or four years, you have a team that can win a Pac-12 South or you know, I guess get to the championship game. But now well, with ASU, they should have that Fiesta Bowl season. Yeah, just like they did in 2014. Yeah. ASU, I'll pivot to there because I liked your talk there. Like ASU has been a dumpster fire the last couple of years and it made life easier for Jedfish. ASU wasn't trying to recruit in state than the sanctions and it was easier it's like players that Arizona got last year Ephesians Price, saw Kevin Greens, those guys who came available late from USC whereas once they might have gone to ASU they weren't touching ASU so they go to U of A terrific. Jedfish does have about a two year head start on Dillingham. Dillingham's doing everything Jedfish was doing two years ago I approved of it then, I approve of it now but how do you see that playing up because Fish seems like he knows what he's doing. He's not an Arizona guy, but he's the Arizona coach seems to be all bought in. Dillingham, of course, is an ASU guy, so he's going to be bought in as anybody. How do you see that playing out for these two programs? Because Arizona looks like it's going in the right, right direction. Momentum's tough to sustain, but it looks like they're moving forward. ASU probably hit rock bottom. They have nowhere to go but up. Like, How do you see this playing out between the two of them? Well, the thing that I – I mean, we grew, we grew up in Phoenix, right? 
some there's some money on Scottsdale Road. You know what I mean? And like to me, if McClintock, right? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Once you get down to ten feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's some money out there, and there's some businesses out there. And my understanding is that Kenny Dillingham has a plan for NIL that's going to you know access um, or, or open up the doors with some of these businesses and some of that money to try to like spread it around. And the thing that's that's difficult with Arizona State and Arizona is that I think Arizona State, if done the right way, has a playoff ceiling. Like if you got that thing rolling with the right head coach at the right time, like could you imagine like if they would have hired Deion Sanders or, you know, got somebody that could like juice up the program and get people excited about going to Tempe, um, you know, and the whole Jed Fish retirement thing of, you know, people come to Tucson to retire. People go to Scottsdale to retire. You know what I mean? Like if you really want to like take the Arizona sales pitch um, to the – maximum i think that phoenix probably has a leg up on on tucson no offense to tucson it's a college town phoenix is a city and uh you know i i think that their ceiling is higher now that doesn't mean that arizona won't ever be able to have a good football team ever again but the fact is is that like it kind of reminds me of the ohio state michigan rivalry like michigan's a really good football program and they've got the better of the other team uh in this in the series the last two years but when it comes to ceilings and, and ability to sustain national championships ohio state has the upper hand and i don't think that anybody would disagree with the fact that asu probably has the upper hand whether or not they can they can reach that potential has been a 25-year problem that you know i've watched you know growing up there and into my professional life and i've always constantly wondered like how could a team that has that many alumni in a city that's that, that's wonderful to live in um, with those uniforms, the stadium built inside of a mountain and a fertile recruiting footprint outside of California, Arizona suck ass for the last 20 years. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so like if you get the right guy in place, and I believe that Kenny Dillingham understands it more than anybody, you know, their ceiling to be a really like good football team that could compete at a high level, not just in Arizona, but across the board is just higher. Like I think the path to resistance for Arizona is, is, is much harder than it would be for a team that's located in Phoenix. Yeah. You know, speaking of things that don't make sense, I'm hoping you're going to explain to me. I, I'm actually thinking uh, the Kenny Dillingham hire is great for ASU, but what I can't understand is how does a 31 year first time, 31 year old first time head coach get paid way more than Jed Fish just agreed to in a contract? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, and that, that's the thing too. It's like the age thing. It's like, well, dude, wasn't uh, what's the Rams coach's name? I, I, I oh, McVay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Sean Jed, McVay. Jed Fish's buddy, thirty three years old. You know, like I mean. So, yeah, the, the money situation is always going to be the thing. And, like, that's the other other thing, too. And you guys are probably more familiar with this with me than me. But, like, how much money does Arizona have pumping into its its coaching staff? Yeah. Like, if you have a young coaching staff who's, like, the wide receiver coach who brings in six four-star recruits one year, does Arizona have the, enough money to keep him? Or does he need to get poached by UCLA? That is Kevin Cummings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, the answer is probably true. yes. Like, it's... Yeah, you worry so about like, that every all time. About yeah. investment too. It's not just like everybody thinks NIL, NIL, NIL. Like that's true. Like that's a, that's a real deal. But like, does the program have the right amount of money to invest um, into the actual program, which is you know head coaches' salary, assistant salaries, and I've had a front row seat to this. But the assistant coaches on these staffs are so freaking important. They really are not just from a recruiting standpoint, but from a developmental standpoint, a, a support standpoint. You know, things can go really off the rails if you don't have a really good staff. And if you don't have the money to pay them, you're not going to have a really good staff. So, you know, and the thing, too, that I've noticed about the Pac-12 that wasn't true when we were on the phone a, a year ago is there are really good coaches everywhere now. I know that UCLA and USC are leaving. So, you know, maybe it'll be an easier path to the Pac-12 championship game in three years. To get throttled by Oregon, yeah. 
but like Oregon's still there. Washington has a coach that seems to be, you know, on track. Chip Kelly just got a five-star prospect from Detroit at the quarterback position. Like there's a lot of pro Kenny Dillingham is going to try to activate the Valley or whatever his slogan is. And like, it's just like, there's a lot of, a lot of competition in a conference that I thought was really down a year ago. So um, I'm not trying to like, you know, ran on anybody's parade here, but like the, the idea that Arizona is just going to be a 10 win team in two years. Cause Jed fish got T Mac last year. It's just, it's going to be constant um, levels uh, of, of improvement over and over again, in order to get to that point before you're going to start seeing the real actual results on the field. And that's saying it after a year where we did see the results on the field, they were a much better football team now, but as everybody else gets better, Arizona is going to have to as well and, and get it, you know, that much better, than they would have been in order to win those games. Perpetual uphill climb for Arizona football. Ari Wasserman from The Athletic covers recruiting for them. Does a great job, obviously. You can find him on Twitter at Ari Wasserman and see all his content there. We appreciate the time here on Wildcat Radio 2.0. You said you were afraid of being a homer, but then you talked about how ASU was going to be easier road to be great. So I think you balanced out. You're good with us. You're good with our listeners. Yeah, no, I hope I didn't offend anybody. No, I, I it's, try it's to the be internet. about it. But like, is that... Like, are you guys with me on that, or am I nuts? I, I think the path is should be easier. That's like, no one ever called Arizona a sleeping giant, right? Like, there's a reason ASU's had that moniker for 30 years. It's because, in theory, they should be better. But they, they just have it. Yeah. Bubble? yeah. Yeah, they have the Dickey Dome. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Well, they need a facility. I think that's the first thing I would do. Get an indoor facility with a waterfall and a pool. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things that they could do in yeah. order to, to yeah. get think, that path. But, yeah. I think, I think the only thing that whatever that holds ASU back perpetually is that the, the alumni base as large as it is, is not actually connected to the school as much as like a college yeah, town. They're campuses. Not, they're not, and they're not as devoted. They're inch, yeah. you know, a mile inch deep and mile wide in terms of support. Yeah. That's I think my that's take. <laughs> yep. Well, with that happy note, Ari, we appreciate the time. Enjoy your coverage. We'll keep enjoying your coverage. Hopefully Arizona has some more recruiting wins. Maybe we'll see something about that, but Hopefully we'll catch you again down the road sometime on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Yep. Anytime you guys need me. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. That's Ari Wasserman. When we come back, we got to talk Arizona basketball. We're back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. And once again, thanks to Ari Wasserman of The Athletic for providing that insight. If there's anyone, Brett, who knows the national landscape for recruiting, it's that guy. And the fact that he's an Arizona alum means he also pays attention to Arizona and has a good feeling for what they're doing. You know, it seems like Arizona's doing okay for where Arizona should be. I think so. Like we talked about in the first segment, you you see the plan, you see it coming together, and now it's going to, you know, we'll see how it closes out in the offseason heading into spring, and hopefully guys like Jordan Morgan come back healthy, and you can fill in some of the gaps in, in the transfer portal and, and with the spring signing period, but you gotta, it's, it's hard not to feel, you know, moderately confident in where the program is headed. Yeah, and whether, you know, you don't like his take on ASU's ceiling maybe being slightly higher than Arizona's. You know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with him, but remember, ASU very rarely reaches that ceiling, so it doesn't matter. Like, they've been a sleeping giant for a long time. So, if Dillingham's the guy who's going to get them there, so be it. But, you know, might as well. They got to, you know, we got to see it first, right? Are, are they are they a sleeping giant or are they just a hungover giant? Right. It could be. I mean, they might be a dead giant right now. Like, Rigor Mortis <laughs> may have set in. I have no idea. But either way, like, I think, Brett, you and I are both of the mind where. If Arizona and ASU are both good, like the best season was 2014. Yes. You know, let them both be good. Let their game, the Territory Cup, mean something more than just bragging rights and the cup. And then we and then Arizona them. wins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the best. Like that or ASU needs to go winless. Like they need to be the worst team in college football or 
the second best team in college football behind Arizona. Yeah, I want ASU to be the second best school at everything. And then I don't want any of our games to actually be good games because I want us to destroy them. Yes, that's totally reasonable. So, but again, thanks to Harry Wasserman of the Athletic. Definitely appreciate his time, and we'll we'll certainly catch up with him again down the road. Brett, we got to talk basketball, right? Like, it's, I, I I laugh at myself because it's December twenty second now when we're recording. Arizona men's basketball's top five, like they're really really good, and we led this show with football. And I know it's signing day, right? I I get that, but. Come on. <laughs> like it's like they're so quietly good because they're expected to be good. It's the it's the expectations game, Adam. Yeah. Uh but yeah, what a what a nice win over Tennessee. That uh, was quite a physical matchup and some little fun extracurriculars, but Oh yeah, loved it. You know, and oh boy, I may have uh made the mistake of venturing over to other schools boards and those people the complaints about the officiating is a little bit rich coming from the same team that had the shoe on the other foot last year <laughs> you know when bad calls go for you they're fine when they go against you and i, I don't i remember i saw the foul this foul discrepancy was a thing they definitely called some charges on tennessee in that game that i'm like okay you know whatever there wasn't anything that struck me as egregiously bad I think there was one sequence towards the end where there was some contact, a loose ball, and Arizona ended up with it, ended up getting fouled, whatever. Arizona, I think they were already up like five or six at the time. Yeah. Like, that was the only time I'm like, well, they probably could have called a foul on somebody, but I don't know who it would have been on. Like, it could have been on either team, so they just let the play happen. Yeah. That's, that, in my mind, is the best example of like, yeah, you probably should have called a foul there, but also it's like, towards the end of the game, do you want the official inserting themselves but but, uh, to your point it's like all right so arizona wins by three instead of five that didn't lose you the game guys yeah Um, and and especially after last year where the officiating like arizona fans weren't happy and justifiably so like it was bad until you know it was bad in knoxville you know i don't know if it was bad in tucson but you know whatever when you lose you don't like it i mean i can't remember if it was tubelis or ballo or pella larson but like even the announcer was like well they called the sixth foul on that because like the foul discrepancy was because tennessee was fouling more <laughs> like they just were right yeah. um and like you know the technical foul on kirk carissa is it letter of the law sure is it something they could, he he was immediately like oh gosh i need to go back and they could have just said get back and have a warning yeah like that was a four-point swing on that technical foul right does that mean yeah. arizona won the game or lost the game because of that not necessarily um but you know I think a lot of that is just salty tears from a team that wants to play physical and try to dominate people. And I think in this game, Arizona met them in there and, and played their game and just exposed it. Yeah. And that's what made it such a big win. Yes. Beating anytime. Like it was Arizona was nine at the time. Tennessee was six. And since that game, of course, Arizona beat Montana state 85, 64, and they're set to play Morgan state Thursday evening. <sighs> Can't really judge much from those games, right? Those are supposed to be little tunas before the holiday break. You know, then your first real game that after that is December 31st at Arizona State, which, woof, they got a top 25 ranking and then promptly got their asses kicked by San Francisco. So, you know, but but the Tennessee game was big. Yeah, because last season when Arizona went there and lost, they got off to a really bad start, foul trouble the whole time, came back, made it a really good game, but lost to a physical team. And we talked about this on the show last week, Brett. Playing Tennessee, like there's a certain style that they play that Arizona's not used to, and Arizona's not necessarily comfortable with. At least they weren't last season. You know, Utah kind of took it to them a few weeks back. Yeah. How would Arizona play against a physical team that they're talented? Like they have athletes, but they want to bump, they want to push, they want to play that kind of game. And Arizona, 
like you said, met the moment. Like they they matched that and even kind of succeeded and were a little slightly better at it in certain ways. Doesn't mean that they're going to be great every time, but it was nice that Arizona can play like that and can win like that. Exactly. Arizona is not inherently trying to be a physical team the way Tennessee is trying to. But Arizona last year would have gotten, you know, think back to, you know, TCU, Houston, the Tennessee game in in, in Tennessee. You know, they were trying to p- knock Arizona's offense off rhythm. They're trying to bump Azulis to Bellis. They're trying to push Kirk Carissa and the wings farther and farther away from the basket and, and let the cl- shot clock run down. Mm-hmm. Arizona didn't back down. And, you know, Tennessee's bag is kind of to be physical and to be intimidating that, you know, old ASU guy Plavsic was like his shtick is to be the, the, the goon. Right. And like to be that kind of a, you know, a little bit of that dog that I always say that I want Arizona to have. And I think you saw Arizona with their own dogs uh, in Kirk Carissa and Courtney Ramey. And even as the, the big thing to me is Azulis Tubelis was able to not, you know, to, to raise his physicality level and his tolerance of it in that game. Yeah. Um, and so, that is a very that augurs very well for March when those kind of games are going to become the norm to know that Arizona can rise to meet that moment, even if it's not their preference in terms of the game yeah. style, but they can handle it. You got to be able to win different ways, especially when you're Arizona. You, you have to because there's going to be games where you don't shoot the ball well. There's going to be games where maybe you have foul trouble. There's going to be games where it just doesn't go, but you have to find a way. And it's like they didn't shoot the ball well against Tennessee. They played pretty well in that game, Arizona, but it was a style that. It's a lot more pretty when they're winning by 25, running up and down the court. Lots, you know, the best teams aren't going to let you do that. So yeah. how else can you win? And against Tennessee, like a good team. And it was at it was at McHale Center, so there's a home court advantage that comes with that. But it's the type of game that you need to win to show that you can handle that. Now, what they had lost would have meant that they're doomed. No, of course not. But we saw them do something that we hadn't seen them do yet, and that's another notch. To say okay, like. Kind of we're trying to figure okay, how good is this team compared to last year's team? You know, how good was last year's team? Others like there's certain milestones or certain things that when they check that box, you feel better about them. And that was the box. Can they play that physical game and win? Yep. Check. It was a milestone game. Uh, for especially yeah. for somebody like Azulus Tabellis. Um, you know, Arizona's best offensive play in that game sometime was, you know, just drive around your guy Azulis and make a layup because he did that like four times in a row. <laughs> but like that requires him to have an aggressive mentality and be willing to absorb some contract contact and know that it's coming and still finish. Right. Yeah. Azulis for stretches last year would not do that. He'd, he'd get, you know, you could, you could bully him out of there and you could knock him off balance and he would struggle to, 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 to deal with it. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's just funny because you could see it in the players. You could see it in, one of the assistant coaches getting into a spat on Twitter after the game with like some of the post game kerfuffle. The uh, what uh, what was his name? The the Tennessee guy Ziegler that was like kind of half tripping Courtney Ramey and then yeah. the 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 peak fake tough guy thing of pretending like you're gonna throw a punch. Like that tells me that they know it's a shtick. And Ramey didn't flinch at all. Yeah, that's that's Ramey. I mean, it's outside of the bounds of the game. But that's that dog mentality, right? Like a yeah. real dog isn't going to back down from that. I mean, even, you know, we talked about the Montana State game briefly. Like Kirk Carissa showed his dog when the mentality when uh, if one of the their, their guys like had an aggressive contact on Pella Larson and no foul called. And he basically just, you know, clotheslined the guy and said this was, and yelled at the ref. Like, I'm not condoning that behavior, but that's a true dog is going to like do something like that. Like, you know, like a, a true dog in the post is going to not try to like clothesline somebody like that was a little bit dirty of Kirk Carissa, but like, yes, 
you're going to box out and put a very legal box out on somebody that's going to hurt. Like a hard screen, stuff like that. You know, when, I'm, when I would be playing, I'd be like, I'm going to put a forearm in your chest when you're not paying attention and coming across the lane, and I'm going to make sure you know that I'm there. And that's what Arizona needs more of that. And Kirk Carissa's physically not able to do that, but he's mentally tough in that regard and will actually back it up rather than the, you know, stare downs, the fakes punch <laughs> like that's that they're telling on themselves that it's it's it they're trained to be tough guys and that's what they're trying to do right as opposed yeah. to knowing what you can do or can handle and i think that's a really good sign of growth for arizona for sure for sure flipping over to the women's game of course arizona lost to kansas a couple weeks back 77 50 that was not pretty since then beat texas southern by 34 Beat Baylor. That was a big win against number eighteen yeah. Baylor on the road. Beat them by twenty one, <laughs> like, and then came back. And of course, UT Arlington beat them by nineteen. Not bad, Arizona. <laughs> Not bad at all. Yeah, Arizona needed that Baylor win real bad. <laughs> it's kind of like the statement win, right? Well, it's it's you know they they got I forget who they played where they kind of got smacked around by the first real test they had, and you know they responded. Kansas. Yeah. And, oh yeah, Kansas. They got they got, you know, they just got beat. Not not ASU men versus San Francisco beat, but they got No, beat. that's 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 a special kind of getting beat. <laughs> yeah, going on the road though and playing a good team like Baylor. Yeah. And like now Arizona's ranked number 18 in the country. Like that's where you want them to be. Yeah. Like they they have we've talked with PJ Brown before the season started. There's a lot of new faces, a lot of new contributors on this team, but even like against Baylor, Shayna Pellington, by the way, with 18 points. Jade Lovell, 16. You know, Kate Reese, 13. Esmeralda Martinez had eight. Lauren Fields had eight. Lena Puello had seven. Like, that's some pretty good balance, the type of balance that we were expecting to see from this team. And to do that against a good opponent means everything. Well, and can we talk about Martinez getting 15 rebounds <laughs> and Kate Reese getting we 13 can. rebounds? Like, those are, if that's how the, 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 the way you, a, a really great defensive team is a great defensive rebounding team because that's, that's what ends possessions. One right? shot and done. Yeah, if you're forcing a bad shot that's going to have a low percentage and you get the rebound, that is how you make effective defense. It's not necessarily steals. It's not necessarily blocks. It's killing their possession, right? Mm-hmm. And rebounding is the the, the period at the end of uh, every defensive stop. <laughs> and so, like, don't overlook that in terms of, 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 of what Arizona's defensive capability is because those, those numbers are kind of insane. Yeah, for sure. So it's a good basketball team, again, as expected. And they're just growing with a lot of new faces, similar to Tommy Lloyd's team. Like, there's a lot of new faces, but every time you have a chance to play a big game, now you're going to start getting into the conference games after the break here, more conference games. But start winning those. I know each, like, the women come back against ASU. That's their next game, home against ASU on December 29th. And, of course, the men play their game against Morgan State on Thursday, and then their December 31st at ASU, an afternoon game. So, Ideally, the men don't lose to Morgan State because if they do, then that changes everything. But like, we can assume that Arizona's going to win that game, still be a top five team playing ASU. Of course, ASU's not going to be ranked anymore. Way to go by losing by like 40. I think it was only like 36. Like They closed only. the gap only. towards the end of the game. Yeah, against San Francisco. <laughs> hey, you know, it's a tough team. So, you know, it, it happens. <laughs> but it, either way, we slept with football. Sure, it's early signing period. But basketball is doing everything we want to see basketball do. Sure are. So could be a lot worse. Um, really quick course, former baseball coach Andy Lopez to be inducted in the National College Baseball Hall of Fame. Congrats to Andy Lopez. He did a good that, job with Arizona. That's um, neat. Anything else, Brett? Did we, is there anything else we got to talk about? Did we miss anything? I mean, 
I'm sure we did. We didn't go into all of the flips and all of the commits and all of the, the, the you know, various changes, but I think we got the bulk of it. Good, good. Well, I mean, there's always going to be a show next week, right? Well, hopefully. There's holidays and stuff, but there should be a show next week. So if we miss something this week, we can get it next week. You know, similarly, like if you ever have a question for us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ, pop it over there. You know, like a little mailbag. Sometimes we'll do the mailbag. Sometimes just ask us a question and we'll get yeah. to it. That's cool. So feel free to do that. Of course, follow us on that Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify. Subscribe on both. But if you're on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. We will read the review on the show. Yeah. And also, Adam, I think we're both going to be at the game in Tempe, so we can call that an unofficial watch party at McHale North. Unofficial. (laughs) We'll see. But, of course, basketball, men's basketball, Thursday night. Signing period for football and other sports is actually ongoing for a little bit. So whatever happens with all of that over the next week, we'll talk about it in our next show. But until then, have a great holiday. Remember to bear down. Bear down.